Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. Many years ago, I read a book that was widely circulating in some Christian circles, and it stuck with me. It was called Finishing Strong, and the author began the book by talking about three men. Now, these three men had a lot in common. They were all evangelists. They were excellent preachers. Uh, They were all from the, two of them were from the same organization, and they would go to universities and churches and schools and places, and they would preach. And they were all well-known, and all three uh, had, a, had a great reputation. And they were drawing large, large crowds. But 10 years later, only one of them was left in ministry. And all of us today know his name. That was Billy Graham. The other two men, we don't remember their names. They both left the ministry, one due to becoming an agnostic, and the other due to alcoholism and financial irresponsibility. All three started out, started out as followers of Jesus Christ, but only one continued to follow Jesus throughout his life. And the readings from the text this week spark the memory of that story from that book because in all of the three readings today, we see examples of the tension between those who are followers and those who turn back. And in our Christian lives, as we follow Jesus, we will continually be confronted with the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. We will be afforded multiple opportunities to turn away, but learning the lessons from Scripture and history, we dare not. Sometimes, though, we may also need to understand that following Jesus isn't all straight lines on a straight, flat road. It's curves and valleys and mountains. Fortunately, we're not walking alone, though. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and brothers and sisters, we are all walking that together as the body of Christ. So in the Old Testament reading, we see the end of the story of Elijah. Last week, we talked about his encounter with God at the mountain, and God tasked him with finding and training the person who would replace him, something that all good leaders do. He's led to Elisha, who was plowing his field at the time. And Elijah says, hey, come follow me. So Elisha's like, okay. He, he takes his cloak off. He takes the, the, the animals that he's using to plow. He kills them. He, he burns them. He takes some of the meat. They have like a feast with his family. And he and Elijah go, and he follows. He burns. He burns his plow. He kills the cattle that are pulling it, right, as a sign of that old way of life is over. This is where I'm headed. This is who I'm following. And now in the reading that we heard today, Elisha is following Elijah as Elijah is nearing the end of his ministry. And in the reading, Elijah tells him twice, stay here, the Lord is sending me over there, somewhere else. Now Elisha could have said, okay, I'll stay here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Like what we say when we, you know, we leave a job and go somewhere else. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, even if we don't sometimes. But he doesn't. 
Every time Elijah tells him to stay, Elisha responds with, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he doesn't leave him. He keeps following. And so we ask ourselves, why? Why does he keep following when he keeps getting told he should stay behind? Well, let's look at the rest of the story. So they get to the Jordan River and Elijah parts it with his cloak, the symbol of his authority. And it's interesting that he parts the Jordan with his cloak. And this should make us think, brothers and sisters, of Moses and Joshua, right? Moses parts the Red Sea. And then if we think about the story of, of Joshua, Joshua, when he leads the people finally into the promised land, what parts for them? The Jordan River. And now something very similar is happening here with Elijah. And like Moses... God is going to take Elijah away, and no one is going to know what happened except for Elisha. And Elijah asks him, what would you like of me before I am taken? And Elijah knows he's going to be taken. And so before he goes, he asks his faithful follower what he needs. Elisha replies, I want a double portion of your spirit. And this is why he has followed so faithfully. Because as Elijah's successor, successor, he is going to need what God has gifted Elijah with. And commentators note here, when he asks for the double portion, he's asking for the inheritance that a firstborn son would normally receive from their fathers. He's essentially asking to be Elijah's heir. And he is. And he is. Elijah's like, well, I'm not quite sure it's in my power to grant that, but if you see what happens, if you witness it, then it's going to be granted. And then all of a sudden, the heavenly chariot wreathed in flame descends and takes Elijah up into heaven, and Elisha sees it. He sees it. And Elijah's cloak flutters down to the ground, and Elisha picks the cloak up, the symbol of Elijah's authority. He tears his cloak off, and he takes it. Elisha's cloak, Elijah's cloak with him. And the people on the other side of the Jordan River see him coming. And he even does the exact same miracle that Elijah does. He parts the Jordan so he can walk across. And everybody sees that the spirit that was upon Elijah is now upon Elisha. And Elisha goes on to have an incredible ministry as a prophet of God. So suffused with the power of God that even after his death, his bones bring a dead man back to life. Elisha had chances to turn around, and we saw that in this story. Stay here, I'm going on. He says, no. He had opportunity to stay behind, but he refused. He continues to follow, and he walked into what God had called him to do. And I don't think it's a stretch here to think that Elijah was testing Elisha a little bit. Because remember, he knows Elisha is supposed to succeed him, and God told him to appoint Elisha particularly for that purpose. And I think Elijah is testing him here to see if he was in it for the long haul. And I think, brothers and sisters, this is especially pertinent given Elijah's own history with self-doubt. Given Elijah's, like we heard about last week in the story, when things went wrong for him, he, he, he ran away in despair. When he was threatened, when his life was threatened, he ran to the mountain of God seeking refuge. And God tasked him and called him, comforted him, and sent him back out. Elijah was saying, in a sense, I think, to Elisha, do you really want this? 
with everything that comes with it? Elisha answers yes. And he continues to follow. Then in the passage from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has set his face, it says, towards Jerusalem. This means that he's headed there because he knows it's his time. The crucifixion is coming. So he's single-minded in purpose, and he journeys towards his own death. And as he's walking away from a village that has rejected him, disciples want to get all OG Elijah on them and call down fire from heaven. (laughs) And Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're of. But while they're walking, people begin to call out to Jesus. And one of them says, I'll go wherever you go, Jesus. I'll go wherever you go. I feel like Jesus heard this one a lot. Because he's single-minded in purpose, he says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So the man who's asking to follow Jesus has not counted the cost. He doesn't know that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to die. Even in the Gospels, the disciples make the same claim to follow Jesus wherever he's going to go, and they fail. And it's only after his resurrection, and it's only after he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit that they actually all do follow Jesus to their own deaths, except for St. John. Every single one of the apostles, all 12 of them, follow Jesus As he goes to his own death, all of them, they go to their own deaths too. That's what it it means to follow Jesus. Now, we may not be martyred, brothers and sisters, but there's plenty of things in our lives that we can die to that St. Paul talked about in his reading, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Jesus tells this man, animals have little homes, but I don't. You have no idea the places that I'm going to go and the things that I'm going to do. And then the second man that Jesus interacts with here, Jesus actually calls him. He says to this man, follow me. And in the past, we've seen people do exactly that. When Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, follow me. Peter puts everything down and immediately goes to follow. But when this man, Jesus calls out to him and says, follow me, He says, okay, Jesus, I will, but let me do this one thing first. He gives an excuse, and he says, let me go bury my father. And Jesus responds with, let the dead bury themselves. You should follow me instead. Now, on the surface, this seems to be a little bit heartless. But I don't think it is. Because... When he says, let, when he says, let me go bury my father first, it doesn't mean that his father has just died and his father's lying dead at home. So I have to go home, arrange for the funeral and everything, and bury him. And then once we bury him and follow all the, then Jesus, I'm going to go follow you. I don't think that that's not what's going on here. When he says, let me go bury my father, he's talking about ongoing care, which includes which would include burying the dead. Hey, I'll tell you what I mean here. So St. Theophilact wrote this, and I think this is pretty helpful. He said that Jesus was implying that the father was not a believer and unworthy of the care of the son who believed. He's saying, let your dead relatives, those who do not believe, take care of your unbelieving father in his old age, right? So in other words, the father, he notes that bury here doesn't mean the father is dead at that moment, right? 
but he's talking about ongoing care, which then would end of the life, including burial, right? So there already is some support structure in place for this guy's father. It's an excuse for him to say, let me do all of this other stuff first, Jesus, and then I'll follow you. And then with the third man, Jesus also calls him directly too. But like the previous person, this man also gives an excuse by saying, let me go home and say goodbye, and then I'll follow you. Now this may sound like Jesus is also being unreasonable here, but he really isn't. So think about it like this, all right? So there's a show that Shantae and I like to watch called Chopped. Does anybody ever watch this show? And you're like, what the heck does that have to do? Stay with me. All right, so in this competition, there's a group of chefs, okay? And these chefs, they go to this studio and they cook and they have to use like a mystery ingredient or whatever and they have to include it in their, ba- all in their dishes and they, they do this all for prize money, right? But every episode, there's always one person who says, I was in school to be a doctor or I was in school to be an engineer or I was in school to be a scientist, but then I decided I would rather be a chef instead. My parents didn't like that. My parents were dead set against this. Food is my real passion, so now I'm a chef. My parents were always that supportive, so it would be great if I won so I could prove to them that this was the right path for me, that this was the right thing to do. It's like that every, every episode. So imagine that conversation at home, right? So if Isaac grows up and he comes to me and he says, Dad, I want to be, I'm going to drop out of school. I don't know what he wants to be. He's still two years old. But, you know, what if he wants to be a teacher and then, or a doctor or a police officer, right? But instead of coming to me and saying, Dad, I'm going to go to school to be a police officer or a teacher or whatever he wants to do, he comes and he says, I want to be a professional poet instead. Or I want to go door to door and selling uh, super soakers for a living, right? I would say, are you crazy? No, you can't do that. I would try to talk him out of it if I thought it was something dumb. And I think that's what's going on here with this third man. Essentially, it's I'm going to go home, say goodbye to everybody. There will be people there that tell me it's going to be a bad idea that are going to try and stop me and talk me out of it. I think that's what's going on with this man here. So Jesus responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So lastly, we come to Paul and the Galatians. So St. Paul has a big problem with the church here at Galatia. People who are claiming to be apostles have come there and have spread the idea that Gentiles have to become Jews before they become Christians. This would include everything that comes with that, including circumcision. So Paul writes this letter to deal with the problem, and he has some harsh things to say about it. Some of the harshest language of St. Paul is found in Galatians. He calls them foolish. He says in some places, you have been bewitched. He gets so annoyed, he's saying, I'm writing this part here with my own hand, right? Because normally you would tell your scribe, and your scribe would write it out for you. St. Paul is a little upset in this letter. Because the Gentiles, they do not have to follow the Torah to be Christians. And this is partially why Christianity was such a draw for Gentile God-fearers. There were groups and groups of Gentiles in the ancient world that really liked what the Jews had to say about their God. But they wouldn't go all the way. They were called God-fearers. They could not worship with the Jews, but they kind of had to stand aloof outside, but they would support them and, 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 and help them. But what St. Paul comes along and he's like, you don't have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. You could just become a Christian. 
And the book of Acts, this question came up, and the leaders of the church even said, Gentiles don't have to become Jews before they become Christians. They don't have to follow the Torah. But they do have to follow some of the things laid out in the Torah in regards to sexual behavior and eating certain foods and a couple of other things. And they send this letter out. It's decided on. But these Gentile followers of Jesus and the Jewish followers of Jesus, they've taken a massive step backwards. There's confusion reigning here at the church in Galatia. So St. Paul sets up a contrast between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit is obviously the Holy Spirit that we have all been given, and the flesh is what is corruptible in us due to sin. The translation Tarot from says sinful nature. Flesh here is not a reference to the human body, okay? Flesh here is a reference uh, to what is corruptible and corrupted in us and how that desires something that is not good for us. And it sets that in opposition in how we are to live by the Spirit. Then he quotes Jesus, and he says, the whole law is summed up in the call to love your neighbor as yourself. He then talks about freedom and slavery, and he says, through love, you should, you should serve one another. You should be slaves of one another. So he's saying, take that freedom you've been given in Jesus Christ and use that to serve each other. The Bishop N.G. Wright notes, what we discover at the heart of Christian freedom is that the love of God himself poured out in the death of Jesus the Messiah simultaneously sets us totally free, gives us the glorious sense of new life opening up before us, and imposes enormous constraints. These constraints revolve around our relationship with each other, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And those who walk in that love, they will not fulfill the sinful desires that our, our corruptibility tempts us with. Those who walk in love will display the fruit of the Spirit, everything that froze from Christian love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness, self-control. And there's no law against these things because walking in this way is the fulfillment of the law. And this, brothers and sisters, is part and parcel of what we've been talking about today, following Jesus, that those who follow Jesus will take the freedom that they've been given in Christ and serve one another, and serve one another. So the question today for us, brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus is, do we really want this? Do we really want this? Do we want to truly follow Jesus, or do we want to turn back? And what do we do? Sometimes we think we're following Jesus, but we're actually not following Jesus. We're actually doing the works of the flesh. Sometimes in an effort to follow Jesus, we actually turn away from Jesus. And what got me thinking about that particularly was I saw a video this week of clergy people who went to a medical place that provides abortion. And they surrounded this place, and they blessed it, and they prayed for it, and they stood in solidarity with it. All in the name of Jesus. And that stuck with me, and I haven't been able to get around. I've been thinking about that all week. How you could think that supporting and standing in solidarity with wickedness is somehow part and parcel of following Jesus. 
Like St. Paul says, brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. Testing will come, brothers and sisters. And how we respond to this testing highlights if we are truly following Jesus. Elisha teaches us that those who follow the master till the end will receive the gift. And the scripture says that those who endure to the end will be saved. When we have opportunity like Elisha did to turn back and to stop following, let us like Elisha responds with, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, let us take into consideration what that means for us. We may be taken into hard and difficult places, right? Like he responds to the man, foxes have holes, birds have nests. The son of man has nowhere to to lay his head. As we follow Jesus, he will lead us and guide us and send us into uncomfortable places to witness for him, to be an agent of his grace and his love. The exact opposite of what was going on outside that clinic. It's easy to go along with something like that. It's harder and more Christ-like to actually stand against that. Let us not be like the two men Jesus called to be his disciples who used excuses to not follow. Let us not let the things of this world draw us away, whether it is friends or family who may not agree with our beliefs and our choices to follow Jesus. And as we faithfully follow him, let us model the love he showed us. And this love has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that should show itself in how we as Christians love one another and love our neighbor. And brothers and sisters, it's not enough just to say that what those people did was wrong. But we also have to be the type of people to say, it's not enough to just say this is bad. It's not enough just to say abortion is bad. It's also up to us to say, here are resources. Here are other places you can go. Here are other organizations that can help you. So you don't have to do that. So you don't feel like this is your only option. That's up to us. That is Christ-like. And that is hard too. Because that, makes us be, that will make us be seen by many as unloving and backwards and not with it. And as we follow faithfully, as we obey his call, as we do not turn back, we are continually renewed and empowered and strengthened for the next phase of our journey. And brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged when you fail because we will all fail. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. Every single one of us. Barry, you're going to fail. Ed, you're going to fail. I'm going to fail. Shelly, you're going to fail. Diane, you're going to fail. Joanne, you're going to fail. At some point, every single one of us will fail. Ray, you're going to fail. Sandy, you're going to fail. Steve, you're going to fail. Every single one of us will fail. But brothers and sisters, Scripture tells us the righteous person falls seven times but rises again. When we fall, when we fail, 
that doesn't mean that we're not truly following Jesus. What it does do is highlight how in need of his grace we are every day and how that lives and plays itself out through us. So don't be discouraged because God is gracious and loving. And when we fail, as we follow, he will pick us up when we fall. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would consider helping to meet a major need that we have. Our building is in current need of some necessary repairs, so we've set up a GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash SaveZionStone. And I ask that you would please consider donating there, or if you'd like, you could also mail us something directly. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the church's Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, as well as our website. This podcast is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you.